But I wanted to say, you know, as I was uh, getting prepared for this uh, sermon here, I, I think it's been mentioned, and I'd, uh, I'd like to make note and draw it out a, a lot more uh, here for us today, is that a couple weeks ago I was commissioned as, pa- uh, as one of the pastors here, and the text that I was commissioned with was uh, chapter 2 of, of Malachi, which is basically, oh, you priests, you're bad messengers. And so I wrote, commissioning text, don't be a bad messenger. So, uh, so thank you. I think, I think it may have just been unintentional things lined up, but it was hard for me to think that it wasn't actually like a, a malicious attempt to just haze me into this uh, position, uh, because then I was assigned the text for today, and, uh, and, and, and that text is uh, justice. And I don't know if you guys lived through 2020, but golly, that's a fun topic right now. So, so here we go. Uh, you just buckle in and go for the sermon. So, no, joking aside, um, I am honored uh, at the confidence and support that the elders, Brandon, have given me just asking me to preach. Uh, been uh, so, uh, we've felt, my family, I have, my family has felt the love, the hospitable welcome that you guys have all brought here, and it is a, a great joy. Preaching is one of my favorite things because all you do is open up the Bible and tell people that, hey, there's Christ again. Let's figure out how this works today. And so that's what I want to do uh, today is proclaim Christ boldly and clearly, accurately for you as he reveals himself to us in our text today. So uh, enough of that. Uh, I'm grateful today. Uh, 24 hours ago, I wasn't so grateful. So let me, let me take you there. Uh, maybe if this is a, a story about my family a little bit. Uh, yesterday morning, Saturday mornings, we oftentimes play games together. Um, one of the games we play, card game, the, the game uh, that we were playing yesterday was uh, called Sleeping Queens. It's a great one. Um, and, uh, and we love it. But if, if, if your family's like mine, and, and maybe this is kind of a story, somewhat of my family, maybe about my parenting, maybe about society as a whole, but uh, at some point in this game we're playing, it's peaceful, um, and if somebody feels as though the rules have been violated, um, well, that's where the fun begins. Uh, and so, so one, of, one of my kids uh, is, uh, is very, very uh, rules-oriented and just throws the book at you. Um, uh, literally the instruction book, but also very verbally, no love, all truth, you have wronged. Uh, I, I, another one of my, my kids always kind of feigns some ignorance, like, I was confusing, I didn't know this was a thing, so maybe that's some, some of that. But at some point, this peaceful dialogue uh, escalates, and then one of them pops and yells, Mom! You know, and that's kind of how it goes. Um, so me, sitting there, playing this game, uh, then I say, oh, I could serve as one of the parental units to step in to interpret what's happening and settle the differences, right? And then, no, 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 mom. Uh, and uh, and, and, and it's so the reason why they do that sometimes is uh, say not dad but mom is because they understand I saw everything and I actually have the truth and I will not, the truth will not land on their side of justice. And so they want to outsource where their definition of truth is so that they can get what their justice is. I think at this point I'm seeing enough smiles to know you all know I'm not talking about cards anymore. This, this is us. This is what we do. This is how we uh, interpret and handle and footnote God in all of our sense of justice, right? And that's exactly what's happening here in Malachi. Uh, there, was, there was a wise man back, back in the day that said, there's nothing new under the sun. And it seems as though uh, Malachi 2.17 is exactly where we are uh, today. And so it's a wonderful, sweet, timely reminder to us of what justice is, who the judge is, and how he goes about exacting his judgment. So uh, I want to I speed, uh, or, or speed us back there real fast because if we, if we take the Old Testament and, and directly apply it to today, we're going to miss some things. We get, we get weird when we go that way. Our theology is weird. Our practice is weird. And so I want to take the long route here. We're going to look at where they are. 
We're going to take that through the cross, the ultimate fulfillment of judgment, and then we're going to land it in today and see what some of those, some of those applications are or implications are for us today as we think about justice. So it's going to be difficult because if you're like me, we've had a lot of reps at our own sense of justice. And so it's going to take a huge, almost Herculean effort uh, to, to maybe pause and consider the Lord and his justice, and how we go forward in that. So uh, let's all jump into this together. I think the urge that we'll land on here, with, as we understand the text, I think the urge we get uh, in this actually comes from another prophet um, in the Bible, Micah, who says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. We'll learn that ours is not the role of judge or the one who justifies, but rather ours is to do the work of justice. Do justice, love kindness, Walk humbly with your God. If you're a person who likes a, a bit of an outline, I've got one here for you. We're going to look at this in four different ways. Uh, we're going to look first at the human-sized view of God's justice uh, in, in the first verse. Uh, then we'll move towards the one who reveals the Lord's justice. We'll look at the purifying justice of the Lord, and then we'll look at the swift justice of the Lord. Uh, so that's kind of, that'll route our conversation that we'll have today. So let's look at this first one, the human-sized view of God's justice. I'll reread uh, Malachi 2 verse 17 for us right now. It says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? I love the words that I have here, that we've wearied the Lord with our words. Now, maybe as you were thinking through uh, some of those maybe uh, games that you play with your family where they go south and everyone's crying for justice, or maybe you're thinking about the conversation of justice on social media, that's a great one. I think a feeling that we all feel in so, at some level is, is maybe sometimes one of, of anger, of frustration, of sadness, of lament, um, of demoralized, of being demoralized. Um, but I think the words here are, are great. It's one of weariness. They're just weary. Uh, I don't know how many Christmas cards we got this week that said, the weary world rejoices. Um, we're weary people, and the, and the Lord is wearied with our words. We weary him with his words. He's not worn out. He does not need a break. He's just wearied. When will my kids get this? The Lord is wearied with words. On the one side, let's, let's understand what the argument is here. On the one side are those who say that God's love covers all, all things uh, it covers all sin regardless of their faith. Everyone is good in the sight of the Lord. At the end of the day, no matter what you do, good. Uh, on the other side of the argument are those who say, the Lord is a God of justice. The Lord upholds his decrees and he is real. And they're asking this question, and where is he? Because <laughs> if he had been here, he would have he dropped the hammer long ago. Both views have partial truth, and that's what makes them potent. We can't just throw them out and say, oh, this one's ridiculous. They both have some truth in them, but because they're not entirely true, they're ultimately wrong. You see, the former, not identifying faithfulness or atoning sacrifice, promotes something like an expectant liberality. That is a... a a casual, cavalier Christianity. A, a, I can do whatever I want. God will cover all my sins no matter what I do. I don't actually need to ask forgiveness. He's so needy of me. He will forgive me and will be good. 
A love wins approach to life. The latter assumes that if only God were real and able or willing to execute justice, then all the evildoers would have had their reckoning. Well, both sides are a little trigger-happy on, on how or to whom they want justice to be served. They're both wrong for two reasons. And before I go into the reasons why they're wrong, I, I do want to just like not dance around. Like you and I fall on that spectrum. We're somewhere on there. Like none of us are over in the area of like perfect justice. We're over in the area of hot mess. So we are there. And what do they do that's wrong? What do we do that's wrong? I'll just bring that to us. What do we do that's wrong is that we assume that we hold the rights to, dis, uh, to discern what is right and wrong. And, that, and not only that, but that God and his word are simply footnotes to our arguments. They, they back our own perceived just judgments about things like life, faith, education, politics, culture, vaccines, anything under the sun. We use God in this way just as they're using God in this way. It's because they have a human-sized view of justice, and their human-sized view is much bigger than their God-sized view, and what they need is just to pause and understand who God is and understand that they are not the judge. And so that's this first point. I think it's the biggest point, the hardest, most difficult part of the text for us is to get over ourselves and sit under God's justice. And so I want to continue with this. This is where humble meditation on the Bible helps us to learn and remember that the Lord is just, the Lord is judge, and the Lord will judge according to his justice. The Apostle Paul seems to have meditated on the Old Testament and walking in step with the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit to write for us, he helps us to apply some of these things. Uh, one of the churches that he writes to that's struggling with this, like we are, uh, is, uh, is, is the Corinthian church. And so in the Corinthian church, we've got this church that is, um, is basically all brains, no love. Um, they, have, uh, they know the Bible. They know the arguments of, of secular philosophy. They, they can reason with the best of them. Uh, Paul commends them so much for what they can do. And he says, but the big problem here, guys, is y'all don't love anyone. <laughs> love puffs up, but, knowledge build, or, but true love, uh, knowledge puffs up, but true love builds up. And this is his whole urge. And so right here in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he's taking, this, the, taking all of their arrogance and their pride and their, and their self-centeredness, and he's turning it really hard so that the rest, of, the rest of the book of Corinthians can be an exposition in love and how to love one another. And so here's the verse that we find in that. He says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, and who will bring, light, uh, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do you get that? He says, do not pronounce judgment before the time. You don't get to decide who's right and wrong in this one. That's not your job. Now, we can, we can invite others to test themselves against Scripture. We can pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit convict them or, or, or comfort them and guide them. But ultimately, it's not our role to choose who's right and who's wrong. He goes a little bit more pointed than this to the Roman church. Uh, in, in chapter 12, verse 19 of Romans, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
The Lord is the judge. That's not our role. So the first point of this is, uh, is that you are not the judge. That's the answer we have here uh, to this question uh, in verse 17. But um, something I might, before, before we keep moving on here, I, I might pause here. Maybe a, a, a sweet way for us to test this, maybe a, a helpful point of application in this, is take one of these verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, or Romans 12, 19. Uh, take that and, and maybe put that verse uh, somewhere that you are tempted to speak more for your view of justice as opposed to God's forgiving mercy and just love uh, to us. So put it somewhere, just as kind of you have to get past that before you do the thing. Uh, if you're not creative, you need some help with that. Anywhere you access social media is a really sweet spot for this one uh, to test you maybe three, four, five, nine hundred times before you write something so that when you write, it is something that actually is advancing the gospel as opposed to your sense of justice. It's a great exercise that builds a tool of gospel humility. And well, let's, so let's get back here to the, to, to the text as we continue on. I want to move into verse 1. All we have so far at this point is the fact that we are not the judge. I think that's, that's kind of where we're at. This whole fight is God saying, you are not the judge. So at the end of verse 17, all we've determined is we're not the judge. We have not actually dealt with the problem that's there, is that there's sin and justice everywhere. Who's going to take care of this then? Okay, if it's not me, then who? Well, we read on. Uh, and when we read on, God does something that he always does so wonderfully is that he indirectly answers the question. I just wish God would say, I will take care of this. But no, he says, I'm going to send a messenger. And I'm thinking, just to take care of justice. Don't send me more people to talk to me. But it's what he does. And it, when we hit those uh, moments as we're Bible readers that are striking, that don't seem to answer a question directly, uh, things that seem odd or, or, or are unexpected, those are moments as Bible readers that we should take note, ask questions, and really hunker down and figure out what is God doing here? Because he oftentimes speaks in a way that's striking to us because we are not approaching it the way in which he intends. This text was assigned to me to preach and it is taking me many, many hours to wrap my mind around. In the work of this, God has done something wonderful in my understanding of, of the gospel and his, uh, and, and his intended outcome for justice. It has given me an even more appreciation um, of God's justice and mercy, but it didn't happen because I just blitzed through it. I had to sit on why do you not directly answer our questions from verse 17 to verse 1 for hours. And sometimes that's good. We don't have to plow through nine chapters a day. Sometimes we just try to have to make the gap between one or the other, and that is the work of the Spirit growing us in life. And so, all of that, let's get into this. He says, uh, he says the answer to this question of who will take care of justice is, the coming one will reveal the Lord's justice. Let's read verse uh, one. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, that's a mouthful. This is some hard work here. So I want to do this hard work together in kind of a, a sped up version of it. So specifically, what does he say here? He says, my messenger will prepare the way. Another helpful Bible reading strategy is when the Bible, when the Old Testament quotes something that happened earlier in it, it's really good to go read that other stuff. The, the prophets quote Old Testament literature all the time. 
because they're binding together themes and trajectories and promises of God, and they're trying to package those into illustrative ways to help us understand God's will. But then also, when we go into the New Testament, and we read about Jesus and the early church, when, that, when the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, that's really helpful because they're telling us, on this side of the cross, this is how we should understand this text. And when we look into Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are actually quoting this verse. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And they refer this to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, all three of them say, John the Baptist is the one preparing the way for the Lord. Now, as a little bit of a side, uh, I mean, that's helpful for us as we come back here because then we read the next sentence in verse one, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. Oh, there it is. The messenger, which fun, fun, nerdy note in Hebrew is Malachi, that's how you would say my messenger in Hebrew, interesting. Uh, it, this messenger is John the Baptist, and he's preparing a way for Jesus, the Lord. We can go into some scholarly debate, then later on in this, in this verse, it says the messenger of the covenant. There, there's scholarly debate about who this is. I think it's Jesus. Others think it's not. But that kind of gets us into the weeds. We don't always have to be in the weeds of scholarship to know that the verse right before that says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. So we already have what we need to know for this verse. John the Baptist will come, and Jesus is the one who will, who, who will bring forth this justice. So who's going to bring about justice? It's Jesus. The rest of this verse, or the rest of our passage, is going to help us to understand what is that justice he brings, and how does he go about bringing it. So I want to spend our time there because that part is gospel beauty. So before we get there, though, I'm going to step out and give you some theological terms because verses 2 and 3 are going to be a bit confusing if we don't understand these terms. So I'm going to use some theological terms that are helpful. They're not terms that I pulled from the Bible. I don't think you will find any of these in the Bible. But what we do with theological terms is we take an idea that is very clear in the Bible and we put it into a term so we understand how God works. And that's what theology is. It's not just this some weird science that we make up and the church, you know, subversively tries to coerce you into something. Now, this just is some, some language to help us understand. So the way in which God's justice works, there are two kinds of justice that God is thinking about when he talks about justice. One of them is forensic or legal justice. Uh, I've made a covenant with you. You have broken that covenant. I made rules for you. You didn't obey those rules. And so you have violated the rules or you have kept the rules. Okay, these are the laws of God. That's forensic. And so anyone who is in there is, is follows the rules is in right standing with God. That's why, you know, when you break those laws, it's like when you're speeding and you see a police officer and you slow down, you are feeling the forensic justice on your brake pedal. Um, and so then you go over here then, um, and this is the moral law of God. This is like virtue. So one is to be right standing, the other one is to be righteous. And so you are, you are made righteous in his sight. So you can, you can always follow all the rules and be clean. This was me when I was a kid, always following all the rules, never getting caught, but totally malicious in my heart. This is, you know, this is, this is that, that, that kid or coworker, or maybe it's you, that follows all the rules, but like does it in a way that people feel hurt and does it in a, just this weird, we're, we're Midwesterners, we're amazing at passive aggression, so we get this. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of it. So right standing and righteousness. So I'm going to go over there legal and moral will, uh, or moral law, then how does he go about bringing that justice forward? Here's some big words. These are worth writing down, and 
spell checking later. Um, so the first one is this idea of remunerative justice. Wow, that's a huge word. Remunerative justice. It's like gift giving. That's the, that's the, the heart of the word is gift giving. It's rewarding for following the rules. Uh, so that's what it is. It's rewarding for following the rules. The opposite of that is then called um, uh, retributive justice, which is punishing for not following the rules, right? So it's kind of rewards and punishment kind of an idea. So one is remunerative, if you follow the justice of God, uh, then you are rewarded. But if you uh, don't follow, then you are punished. That's retributive. There's one more in here because we've, we can deal with the, the sinner. We can deal with the lawbreaker. But it still doesn't deal with the mess they made. And that's what we call restorative justice. God restores justice there. Something has to be done. Uh, you may have made a big stink of the card game yesterday and we took care of all that, but at the end of the day, no one wants to play cards because there's still like just the air of nasty around here and we got to clean this up, right? Um, and so, and so that's, that's how that works. It's a very normal thing that we have and we apply some of that to understand how God works and he works in this way and now I think we have some of those theological tools to see the beauty of what's in, in Scripture. I take the time now not to just flex theological chops here, but I take the time now because I'm very aware that Americans in 2021 need somewhat of a hard reset on justice. We really need to sit in this and recalibrate what we think so that when we get to the next points, we might come at it from a God stance and then maybe it will shape our hearts. So that's why I take this time to do it, not just to, not just to dump a theological lesson on, onto you. It will help us as we read through this text. So let's read now, how does the coming Lord give us justice? He's going to do so in a way that is restorative. He's going to take this justice and do something with it. He's going to refine, purify, and clean up the wrongdoers. And we're going to see a great restoration that happens. So let's get on with that. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Wow. So this God who's all about, uh, who's all about justice, this Lord who is coming, he's going to come, and what is he going to grab? He's going to grab fire, and he's going to grab soap. Now the fire he brings does a lot of different things. With, all over the scriptures, we see that he has a consuming fire, that he can consume anything. He can burn it to the ground. We see, actually, there were priests just like these priests who offered a strange sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord sent fire and consumed them. Like, this is a real historical thing that happened. We know that God can do this, but he chose not to write it here because he wanted us to understand a different function of his fire. Where is the fire directed in this verse? It is a purifying fire. It is directed at the impurity, not at the person, at the impurity of them to burn it out. Also, he grabs the soap bucket. That's just a strange one. I think the kingdom is coming. The Messiah is here. Come, pull out your sword, slit throats, and grab a washcloth, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's striking, so we lean into that because there's something to learn here. Fuller soap is this incredibly coarse soap. It's, it's rough, uh, and, and it's even so good that sometimes it would bleach the, the cloth that it was washing. 
what is this Lord going to do? He's going to get into the business of purifying people. He is in the business of washing them clean. Let's go to the book of Titus, Titus 3, 4 through 6. You can follow along on the screen. That helps us a whole lot. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, because he was coming and then he appeared, right, in his first coming, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, that is, declared righteous, by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the good news of God's justice. That in his mercy, we read that here, in his mercy, he deals justly with our sins. They don't just go away. He deals with them. But he puts that on, that punishment, that due punishment of his, uh, of his, um, of his, of his punishing justice, he puts that on Jesus Christ, his son, on the cross. So he does punish that sin on Jesus at the cross, and then making us sons, that's incredible, one son for the sons, that's just amazing. At the cross, this happens. He then restores us that we might be heirs of a living hope of eternal life. Justice served, but so also mercy. Hmm. This is convicting to me because I am, I believe I'm one of the most ungrateful human beings that was ever made. I don't get to the end of this and think I've been doing things the right way. When I read of how God chooses to put his wrath on his son and not on me when I deserve it, and then I go out and just make a mess of everything and then say, God wills it, in the name of God, do what I think. Let's pause, brothers and sisters, take a posture of humility and say, good heavens, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, I would be nothing. Let's go back to Malachi 3, and then we'll read on into uh, uh, the end of uh, verse 3 into verse 4. It says, after this purifying happens to the sons of Levi the ones who have provided uh, bad teaching and bad sacrifices, we find that after he purifies the sacrifices, right? Oh, nope, not the sacrifices. He purifies the people. He purifies the people there. Your money is not bad and evil. Your hearts are bad and evil. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And then they will bring offerings. And how will they bring them? You got it right there. They will bring them in righteousness. They will bring them as though they are justified. So maybe he is answering through this messenger the, uh, the question of where is your justice? And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old that is in former years. In chapter 1, verse 10, in chapter 2, verse 13, we find that the Lord has not accepted their offerings. And now, after the messenger prepares the way for the Lord, who will then go take justice upon himself, Jesus Christ, 
will take justice upon himself and restore people so that they might be pure again. At that point, we find we've reversed. He will now accept your offerings because your heart has been changed. It has made, been made legally righteous and morally righteous because of Christ. How sweet is that? But then we get to this part here as Bible readers. We continue reading verse, verse 5. And he says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against, and then I'm just going to summarize all of the things that follow there, go to the last clause, those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You can't do any of the things that are listed there unless you don't fear the Lord. He'll address this later, which, lucky me, I got assigned. That's my next sermon I get to preach to you, the fear of the Lord. Um, but he, uh, he says, I will be a swift witness to them. And so I have to ask myself the question, wait a second, it seems like this whole argument, this whole debate happened because, God, you were delaying your justice. Like, it, it seems like, uh, why are you swift now? Well, before we jump to that, I'm kind of already reading it incorrectly here. We need to understand that God is revealing himself. He's prophesying that he will do things in history, and there are a couple of horizons of fulfillment is what we might call them. Now, I'm not going to get way into this because uh, Pastor Keith and, and Brandon have put together an in-context podcast uh, on this topic. So if you haven't listened to the in-context podcast that Stonebridge provides, there's this great 25-minute little clip understanding how we read scripture, read the prophets, and, uh, and instead of the prophets thinking of the prophets as predicting the future, which we do too often, it's actually saying, here are things that I, how I will reveal myself and fulfill those. In their time, you know, we asked this question of, of the kingdom. How is the kingdom fulfilled? In their time, this is the first horizon of fulfillment, they're seeing we're out of exile. We've rebuilt the temple. We see some evidences of fulfillment here. But ultimately, we're going to see that, that the kingdom is fulfilled at the cross, Jesus establishes his kingdom at the cross. So prophecy fulfilled at the cross. Today, we may feel some of that. At the cross, we definitely feel some of that. But then we get all the way to consummation where we will actually see in reality all the effects of the fulfilled prophecies. Does this make sense? And so, and so when we go, what does this mean for Malachi uh, in our passage today? Is that at the cross, we will find that we are purified. Prophecy fulfilled. But the Lord has delayed his ultimate judgment till that final time, till that final consummation. And that final consummation is what we have in view here at Jesus' second return. Verse 5, then at that second return I will draw near to you, and I've delayed it for all of time. And when I come to judge, that judgment will be swift. I have covered the sins of those who have with faith repented and accepted Christ. His blood has washed them clean. At that point, and that's at the cross, but at that time when Christ returns, those who have not been cleaned and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, judgment will be very swift. We read this in Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. I'll help you with this. It's Jesus and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. It's all done there. We feel the full effect of the reality of his promises becoming, becoming real, him fulfilling them at that point. And that will be swift because the Lord is real. The Lord is able 
And the Lord is willing to remain unchangeably holy. And this will take us into the transition verse towards next week. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children, you have not been consumed. With my fire, you have been purified, not consumed. When that day comes, you will stand. How sweet is that? The gospel according to Malachi. Here are a couple, uh, here are a couple things that I would offer to you, maybe just to consider. Um, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what uh, in life, what, what your situations are, where you will be going from here. I want to throw out maybe four, uh, four thoughts that come from this as I've, I've meditated on this and, and, and intend to apply in my own life uh, even now and into this week. One would be humility. We hear, the, uh, we hear Micah saying, do justice, love kindness, and, uh, and walk humbly. Hum- humility is, is, is probably the first step that we have to take. And so the, nothing uh, helps me to become more humble than, than acknowledging and confessing my sin. I mean, that's brutal. <laughs> uh, when I think I'm good, I just think of all the bad things I did, and then all of a sudden I'm just, you know, kind of feel normal again. Um, it's a good muscle for Christians to flex. And, and Christians in America today, are, we're really weak in the confession area. That muscle is, is about as strong as any of my muscles, which are like zero. Um, we need to flex that. Here's a way that you can flex that and practice it. And we ask this question, where have you this past week taken the role as judge somewhere in life? Where have you talked to someone or yelled at someone or typed with all caps uh, your view of justice at the cost of speaking about the Lord's justice, of speaking about the mercy of God in light of the justice he, he took out in his wrath on Jesus? If you have spent more time promoting your justice at the cost of speaking about the mercy and the forgiving mercy and the, and the, and the holy justice of God, it, you may have wasted words this week. Who did you speak to? If you can go to them, this one's really tough. It's easy to, 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 to say, God, you know all things and I can pray to you and forgive me. I mean, that's, all, that's really hard. But actually go and make it better. The restorative part, eee. This part gets hard. If you've done that, if you've, if you've strained a relationship because of that, at first, pray for that person uh, and pray that God would give you the strength to, uh, to go to that person and then go to that person and admit, I may still believe this conclusion, but I went around it. I went about it in a way that was not morally okay with God. I was a total jerk truth that is not accompanied with love is never going to get us to justice because it seems like God's mercy is right there with God's justice. James 4 helps us with this. James 4, 7 through 10, this is maybe a a way to just go through so that you're not just hearing Pastor Josh said do these things. Uh, The Bible says do these things, and so maybe just go through these and say, what do I need to be doing? Very helpful. Um, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched, mourn, and weep because you're looking more at your sin as opposed to their sin. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's the sweet part. 
of the gospel and he will exalt you. God does not exalt the proud, but he raises up the humble. Another posture that you can take is once you hit that humility and start flexing that muscle to build the muscle of gratitude. Gratitude is, a, is, a, is just an absolutely wonderful thing that we don't have much of. Here's a practical way you can do this. Uh, make a list. Audit God's generosity in your life. Where has God done something for you today? An exercise we do sometimes at home is to go around the table at uh, what we call the, 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 the witching hour, the witching hour of dinner, uh, where you just try and like get food into mouths without someone dying. Um, it, with young kids, it's, it's neat. But you go around and you ask them, what has God done in, today? What can we thank God for today? And it's amazing how from the, from the mouths of babes come the beauty and the truth of God. And after everyone shares at the family, you all, you all make sure that you say, thanks be to God. It sounds weird, but also every football drill I've ever done in my life seemed weird, but it built a muscle. Go through these habits and they start to build a gratitude so that maybe more frequently you can say thanks be to God. Another one would be to identify uh, a person that you can encourage, support, partner with for the advancement of restorative justice. If there's someone you know who is slipping through the cracks of society, if there's someone you know who has been forgotten by the community of faith, reach out to them, even if it's shoot them a text today or right now to start that conversation again. It is an injustice to leave people behind. Also, though, identify by name an organization that you can encourage, support, partner with for the advancement of this, this justice. There are many places that do this. Um, House of Hope does this. Uh, Stone, uh, what is it? Uh, Bridgehaven does this. I mean, there are many other ones that do this. Uh, Stonebridge has so many resources and partnerships that we, that, that, that we, that we leverage for the advancement of the gospel. We are very, very good. We have very strong muscles in condemning the justice of the world around us. There is no justice. No one's doing anything for anyone. Well, oh, Christians, get off your butt and start advancing it. That's us. That's what we've been given. We've been given the task of doing this. So name something. Talk, talk in your families. Talk in your marriages. What can we do to actively take a step with someone advancing justice in the name of the kingdom? And always in all of this, lest it turn into legalism or just some weird sermon application, remember the cross. That is where justice is ultimately fulfilled. And that's where you were restored through faith. If you do not have faith, if you do not understand what this is, if you don't quite get that you are deserving of punishment of death because of your sin, Scripture tells us over and over that everyone in here is simply just a sinner, though some of us have acknowledged that sin and prayed to God, and so we just get the extra word of we're forgiven sinners. That's it. That's what church is, a bunch of forgiven sinners and also unforgiven sinners trying to figure out what this means. So help one another in this, because together 
Our society is better when we worship the Lord, when we find our laws off of Him, when we move towards a right, a right uh, engagement of one another, a faithfulness and commitment to relationships, and then we seek justice as it, as it uh, sets the path for our interactions with one another. So, in the end, it's very simple. Micah says, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Let's pray now as we exercise our gratitude. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't skirt around issues that we need to hear, like our stubborn, sinful, arrogant pride, our desire to steal justice from you, our desire to make the world submit to us in our own views, our desire to reject you when you whisper softly or you scream loudly that we are going the wrong way. Thank you that you are patient with us. You are far more patient with us than we are with each other and definitely more patient than we are with you. Please give us the humility and the trust to not figure out how and when and, and to whom your justice will apply, but rather give us a, a, a unified focus of doing justice in small ways, speaking of your justice in big ways, and marching ahead humbly and with love. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus and the cross. We love you, and we will move ahead with energetic mission as we await for the final consummation of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.